Make yourself a cuppa, grab a comfortable seat and join us in one of life's conversations with your host, Suzanne Barber. And today we are welcoming the powerhouse that is Annie Barr. And I, you know, I I talk about her in the introduction, but it's such an honour to get some time with you today, Annie, because you have had the most impressive journey, haven't you? I mean, I was obviously researching before the show and um, there's, there's a lot to unpack in the time that we have, but you left school with just one GCSE, didn't you? And you have now ended up in this place where you have incredible global companies a wealth of unbelievable experience so can you take us back to the beginning and how that came about from leaving school with you with your one GCSE yes well my father was the head um, of economics at the grammar school that I went to so um, I was expected to be you know the the sort of dutiful daughter and um, and I suppose I was to a degree but then three friends of mine died aged 13 14 and 15 so it kind of set me on a path of um, maybe destruction at that point. And then um, I got suspended from school. And um, I yeah, was allowed to come back and do um, the GCSEs that, I, um, that I'd wanted to do. And they were biology and, um, and health related. So I left school. I think I had one or two. I can't remember all levels when I left school. Probably just one. And... Um, and then I, I got a place in um, a technical college um, to do pre-nursing. So I thought to myself, well, I'll do that, and then I'll hopefully get a job. Because I really wanted to get a job and earn money. I wasn't really interested in university because I didn't really think I was university material at that point. So what was and it that probably, drew you to nursing? Wasn't. Um, possibly personal experiences. I've got a brother with a brain injury. I've got a dad who's disabled, uh, has been disabled since he was 23 so maybe it was that. Um, mm-hmm. I was always the type of person who was interested in people um, and uh, interested in looking after them. So that's how that came about. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So you you then sort of transitioned into to nursing. So you decided on going into nursing. So how was that going through nursing school? Is, is school, you know, if we go back to GCSEs, is school something that you were still interested in, but then it kind of went, I guess went a bit wrong for you when you lost your friends or is that you're just not interested? Yeah, I think I was always bright. I was always quite bright and I was always in the, the you know, the top three in the class. But after the friends died, it, it just changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. So uh, school has always been um, a place of light, you know. I, I like college. I love university. I would be an eternal student if I could be. So a couple of jobs I've had um, have been university lecturers in um, Sunderland and in Teesside. So I've really enjoyed the academic environment, although I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself academic as such, but um, I do enjoy that environment. I do enjoy learning. I think that's probably what I like, learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. So tell us about nursing school then as well and how that how that was for you. So nursing school, because I decided to do my psychiatric training at first, I got a job at um, a hospital that was renowned for being a therapeutic community, which was one of the first 
in the country, if not in the world. And it had a famous name, um, and it was called Dingleton Hospital in Melrose. And then I uh, decided that I was only going to do two-year course because I didn't really know if I wanted to stay within that environment or if I would want to do something else. And I didn't want to waste three years, so I did a two-year course, and I really enjoyed it. And In fact, found that I really enjoyed general nursing rather than psychiatric nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point, really, to be frank, where I couldn't tell the difference between patients and staff. So um, it, was, it, it, was, it was a point where I thought, well, actually, I really want to do general nursing. So, so that's what I did, and I really enjoyed the course, actually. Um, um, yeah. Fantastic. So you went on to do nursing for, was it over 30 years? Yeah, I, I, I finished my training in 1982, so maybe that's 41 years now. Mm-hmm. And um, I really um, I really enjoyed it. And um, so then I was at um, the, the local sort of general hospital, and then I got a job in, um, in Newcastle in 1985. I moved to Newcastle from the borders in Scotland. And I got a job on a cardiothoracic intensive care unit, which I absolutely loved. Because the very first day that I started was the very first transplant, heart transplant that they ever did wow. in the Northeast. So I was involved in all of that and I loved it. And, um, you know, it was a privilege to do it, really. So then I, I got really homesick and I decided to go back to Scotland in 1987 and work on the transplant unit in Edinburgh, the Western general and then I met my husband I went to uh, I went to Israel on a holiday and uh, met my husband that was quite unexpected wow that's like that's the dream isn't it go on holiday find the holiday romance and <laughs> and then it continues for the rest of your life that's amazing so, so, yeah. so how did that change things for you then because obviously you know meeting somebody in Israel that's a long way away from Scotland well, it changed dramatically because I didn't expect it and my whole career was set on. Um, I was going to actually move to Israel and I was going to be working in the uh, in the hospice in, um, in Jerusalem, but uh, that didn't happen and um, I didn't expect the romance at all and it wasn't in my plan. And actually I decided I really didn't want to get married um, at some point in those years. And um, so I was set on a course, but obviously... You know, God had other plans, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Threw all of those cards in the air to let you catch them as they fall back down again. (laughs) Fantastic. So so fast forward through a long and incredible career with the with the NHS. So what was it that prompted because you moved into then running your own business, didn't you, or starting your own businesses? So what prompted that shift into Mm. working for yourself? Well, that's a story. So in 2007, I was working in London Monday to Friday for um, the Department of Health. And I was running a long-term conditions programme and um, a a national strategy for cancer care. And I got a tumour. I got a tumour in the uterus. And um, so I ended up having to have surgery. And I had a hysterectomy, which nicely brings me into the menopause Mm -hmm. because I had the hysterectomy on a Friday and Sunday I was menopausal and I didn't, I don't know why I didn't expect it, I'm a clinician, but um, I didn't and um, and I didn't realise the impact that that was going to have. I was very 
um, emotional. And it was really unlike me. I'm I'm not really, I don't cry easily. And I, I don't, you know, I, in fact, emotions tend to freak me out. So um, I, I can deal with other people's, but my own, oh my goodness, you know, what do you do with them? So um, it was a learning curve for sure. And I struggled on for, I would say, four months. Mm-hmm. And um, I knocked on my GP's door and I said, you know, I need, I really need something. I tried everything mm-hmm. that I could that was that I thought was out there at the time. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking 2007, so 2000 and, um, yeah, 2008 by this point. How old were you at the time, honey, if you don't mind me asking? I was 44 mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so I... I really didn't, I, I don't know why I didn't expect it. I mean, I have full hysterectomy, so I should have expected it. But I think I didn't expect the the emotions that came with it. I mm. didn't expect all of the, um, you know, the term. I'm quite a focused person. And um, and I, I felt that I wasn't focused. And I felt that I was losing focus. And I couldn't figure out why. And um, so I needed some help with it. So I, I knocked on the GP's door. <laughs> Brilliant. And I think because back in the sort of the, the 2000s or the early 2000s, we weren't really talking about it either. It wasn't really a conversation mm-hmm. that was on the table, was it? And even, mm-hmm. you know, when I went through it or started to go through it six, six seven years ago now, um, it was just it'll put you into menopause and that's and that's it that's all they tell you isn't it and it's like okay well maybe I'll get a bit hot and maybe a bit mean for a while and that's all I understood um, but I hear so many people particularly clinicians as well I um, a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist she said she was menopausal and she had a really rough time emotionally with it as well um, and she said why did I not recognize that it was was menopause you know mm-hmm. she was looking for all these kind of I guess complicated or complex mental health diagnosis when actually it was it was her hormones that were imbalanced but we weren't talking about it then so of course it's not something that's in the forefront of your mind as a consideration is it no but the funny thing is in 97 when I went into primary care I started doing my master's degree and um and I had um my specialist subject really was uh, menopause and um so I used to see a lot of women with menopause and mm. menopausal symptoms and really now I look back and I think my goodness I had no clue I had no clue what they were going through mm. I did not understand and then having having been thrown into it immediately I began to understand mm. I began to to see how things could be different for people and when I knocked on the GP's door, I said, I need it. I need HRT. I don't care about any of the side effects. I, didn't, I want it because I need to live life. I'm running a business by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just about to start my business, and um, and I, I did. Um, on the 25th of June 2009, I started business. And, um, and, and I'd been on the... HRT for uh, about eight or nine months by then mm-hmm. and I found it fantastic I absolutely loved it um, and it gave me life back again mm-hmm. I don't know that I had many I wouldn't say I had many hot flushes other than and I don't know that I've ever had a hot flush to be honest um, but I've had many of those sweating episodes I had and that was what really you know, and my concentration I think because my concentration was gone, I didn't really, I wasn't prepared to put up with that um, mm-hmm. because I needed to, uh, I need to be focused. So um, that was so that's a what big shift me. as well, wasn't it? So going through, mm-hmm. 
going through the surgery and the menopause and then leaving a, a long nursing career to go out on, on your own as well, all in one go. I mean, you and I have, have talked at length um, haven't we before? And I and I get the feeling that you're you're a lot like me in terms of you go big or go home. So you kind of cram it all into one go, and you just carry yes. on and keep going. But that's a lot to manage, isn't it? And must have been. Was it? Did it feel scary for you, or did you just kind of knuckle down and go right? Come on, let's get this done. No, I didn't feel scared. I just felt relieved actually that I'd got something that was taking care of my concentration and my ability to um to to work. You know, do the job. So I felt that um, the the HRT really really helped a lot. I mean, there, don't, there's no way I don't think I would have got through all of it without that. Mm-hmm. To be honest, then I had of course the the wait to see whether the histology was positive or not, and it wasn't. So that was great. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it, it meant that um, that everything was okay. But mm-hmm. it, it, it yeah, scary stuff, isn't it? You know, when you're waiting on diagnosis or whatever, and you you, you might think the worst or you might be thinking all sorts of things, but it's a bit scary. I'm not really faced by stuff like that, to be honest. I think I was thinking, well, if it, it happens, I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, as you do, I think you have to, you can't cave in. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, caving in doesn't help. Yeah. So you no. have to kind of look at it. But with that's those a logical, things, often there's analytical. no choice, is there? There's no choice. You yeah. have to go through it one way or another. Um, yes, and I guess yes. we consciously or unconsciously can make a choice whether we go through that in the best way possible or whether we really struggle with that because I know that you know a lot of people who especially people I work with really struggle with difficult diagnosis and um, have a lot of anxiety and mental health issues around that as well which can be quite difficult but like I say kind of consciously or even unconsciously we can make that choice can't we Um, I know I did as well I was the same as you was very much a right okay when I was diagnosed with cervical cancer Right, okay, I just need to know, you know, one thing from the doctor, what are we going to do about it and can you fix it? That was it. Um, and as long as I've got those answers, let's crack on and let's make a plan and get it done. So I yeah. feel you're, mm-hmm. are you, are you you're very much the, the exactly same? Exactly the same. Very mindset. logical and analytical and, mm-hmm. and looking at things and wanting a solution. I want, I'm a solution-focused person and um, I've got to have a solution and and that makes me happy mm-hmm. if I've got a solution. Whatever the solution is, you know, be, be good or bad, mm-hmm. could be. I have to have one so that I know what I'm what I'm facing or not, as the case may be. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Love a good plan. Um, Producer Dave actually just waved over with a question. Um, just going back to HRT, you mentioned about um, you didn't care what the side effects were of HRT. Were you aware of any side effects at the time? Yes, yes, I was totally aware. Uh, I was totally aware of the side effects of HRT and what they could cause and mm-hmm. the risks associated with it. Um, was that more around sort of breast cancer or was there other types of side effects at the time? That and there was all the cardiovascular effects. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the cardiovascular effects, uh, you know, the breast cancer effects, things like that, yeah. I was aware. I was also aware that not having it would maybe possibly cause um, things like osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, be, being a bit young, having... Uh, no hormones at all mm-hmm. um, is different to maybe having, you know, your ovaries left in. Mm, yeah. And um, so it was different. And we know that is a bigger risk, isn't it, for people who come to menopause under the age of 45. You know, HRT can offer a lot of protective factors around um, things like cognitive yeah. function, um, cardiovascular function, osteoporosis. You know, it's a big one as well, isn't it? I mean, osteoporosis can be um, a massive killer um, to not to put too fine a point on it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, not a lot of people, um, you know, not a lot of people were talking about those things then. You weren't talking about things like vitamins and minerals and vitamin D and, you know, all the rest of it, magnesium and all that. Mm. We weren't talking about all of that then. We were just talking about um, drugs and, um, and and sort of medical management, I suppose, of menopause, mm. um, which um, was really to me, the only thing that was available at that point. I did try the alternatives, actually. For about four months, I tried um, some alternatives from um, Holland and Barrett and all the rest of it, you know, and uh, Black Coash and something else I was on. Uh-huh. But it didn't do that. It wasn't doing the trick. So well, I the just decided... Available, of course. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. And, um, yeah, I probably never even got them there. But whenever I got them, it, was, um, it wasn't helping. It was, mm-hmm. But I did try. And um, I suppose if I knew then what I know now, then maybe uh, I would have done it differently. However, I think the HRT was a real godsend for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. As it is. I only for, took it for two women. years. Really? I only took it for, yeah, yeah, I only took it for two years. I kept forgetting to take it in the end. <laughs> so I just, I thought, you know, it must be that I'm not, you know, and I shouldn't be on it for long. Uh-huh. So, um, so, yeah, I only took it for about a couple of years. And honestly, I've never had a menopausal symptom since. Amazing. I, I think I went through quite easily um, in terms of the in terms of symptoms. I don't seem to have had a lot of what um, other women have had when they've gone through it, you know. Mm. So I, I feel quite lucky in a way that, that I was able to, you know, transition. And it was, it was fine for me. Mm. That's fantastic. Mm. So... Fast forward a little bit to 2018, because that was quite a significant year on a, on a number of different levels for you as well, wasn't it? So first of all, let's talk about the award, the, the very honourable reward that you received. So you received an MBE um, for services to healthcare exports. So tell us, can you just tell us a little bit more about that and how that came about? So in 2014, um, somebody approached me, one of my friends approached me, business colleagues, and said, I think you should... Um, consider going to China. I've always been interested in China and uh, as a country um, I've always been interested in the Chinese people and um, and the way of life etc. And um, I went out in 2014 with a team. I took my team with me, business team with me and it was about uh, six of us went out and to sort of uh, you know spy the land as it were to see what there could be done um, what possibilities there might be out in China to work, to do some uh, work. And it was really about trying to, because I'd read a lot about the elderly in China, learned a lot about, um, you know, Xi Jinping had just come to power at that point, 20, 2012, and there was some uh, reforms being done. And there was an emphasis really on older people. And the strategy for older people was that they wanted to, um, you know, build nursing homes, um, build care homes, and, and and build um, community centres, etc. So there was a quite an explosion at that point um, of those things out there, and I was asked to go and help them to do some training. So um, that started my journey in China, and I must have been to China between 2014 and 2019, the end of 2019. I must have been 50 or 60 times. Mm-hmm. It and was at this some point, of that... this was the was this the core of what AB Health, your company. Um, AB Health and Wellness, is that the core of what they were doing at that point, the training? No, or? no AB Health and Wellness really didn't exist then. Um, so we had um, we had three companies and the one of the companies was um, 
Anybar International. So what we did was the international arm of what we do um, went out to China and um, the training arm, uh, the, the British training arm with the apprenticeships, etc., was always doing training in the UK. So we'd expanded quite a lot. So 2015, 2016, 20, yeah, 2015, 2016, we opened about three offices. Um, we were expanding. We'd opened an office in uh, Chengdu in China. And um, and we had staff in Beijing and Shanghai and Hangzhou and um, and Taiwan and um, and uh, developed a partnership with a Taiwanese company. Um, they were much much bigger than I was. And um, again, you know, we could use our, our resources with their cultural knowledge and cultural uh, emphasis on what they did with our knowledge on training and the British NHS and the system and what they needed, we had a really good idea of what was required for these people to, to be trained. So mm. that, so we started developing training programs all over China. And um, we, you know, we delivered quite a few training courses. And then I was asked by the government to look at um, um, developing primary care services and of course, China does not have primary care services. So I got a couple of British doctors and myself, and we went out. And um, what happened was we did some training for the government on pediatric referral pathways, which uh, went down really well in the big universities in China. And they adopted it. And so they did it almost overnight. Um, they started using our programs and started doing pediatric referral pathways for children because a lot of a lot of the doctors in China don't really know the colds and sniffles and the rashes and all that sort of stuff. It's more hospital focused mm-hmm. when in fact there, there needed to be this place you could go before you went to hospital mm-hmm. where you could actually be seen by someone who understood the child, maybe gastroenteritis or whatever, you know, a lot of the love. Uh, gastroenteritis really is quite common in children obviously so um we did a lot of training around that and then yeah that was recognized by uh, the british government i still don't know who nominated me i have no idea i have a feeling who i know it is but i just don't know for sure they would they, they, <laughs> they wouldn't own up, up to it, it. <laughs> somebody somebody from the, the the department of industry and trade newcastle i don't i i, I still don't know who it was but um, yeah, so we, so I was nominated, and I always, to be honest with you, I always wanted to have an MBE, and I always wanted to meet the Queen, and it was weird. And it wasn't, it wasn't. I was sitting down thinking about it all the time, but it was just there. It was like if I get anything, I'd really want. I don't want no BE. I don't want anything else. I just want an MBE. Wow. Um, and I, I didn't know. I didn't really think I would ever get it. But I thought if I ever did, that would be what I wanted. So it happened. It was quite a surprise. I didn't expect it. And it came at a time that was really difficult as well, you know. Um, my mum um, my mum was diagnosed with vascular dementia, mm-hmm. um, secondary to a B12 deficiency. And, um, and she died after three years of um, looking after. Mm-hmm. So she was paralysed. And um, she wasn't really expected to make it through the night, but um, but of course, with my knowledge and I got, you know, the, the I have the understanding of how the healthcare system works. I was able to get um, I was able to get a package of care that enabled her to be at home for three years. 
and mm-hmm. um, being cared for 24-7 um, instead of in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. So that was a big achievement. So when she died, in, she died the 24th of June 2018, I got the MB on the 1st. I knew I was having it, obviously, from a previous November. And so the 1st of June, yeah, I met the Queen. It was lovely. Really good. Loved it. So tell us about that, because only the elite few get to go to, you know, Buckingham Palace to receive such, you know, incredible awards. Um, You know, and if that's been on your your mind, or that's that's manifesting at at its ultimate, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what was that like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I had, it's funny because... The same year or the year before I had met Princess Anne, um, I had um, I had I met Charles, um, and 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 I was really thinking um, how wonderful it would be to meet the Queen. And um, funnily enough, when I was fourteen, she came to Jedburgh, where I'm from, and um, I was there's a picture of me and the Queen like ne- almost next to each other. In the, so I thought it was almost destiny. I was then asked to come to the garden party, which was in 2017, and then the following year I got the uh, I got the award. So basically, yes, it was a lovely day, um, and um, it was a really uh, moving conversation mm-hmm. uh, that we had two minutes. But she said to me, um, "Healthcare export, tell me about that." And I thought, "Wow, that's open-ended question there." So I said, well, I told her what it was. And she said, why do you do it? What motivates you? Mm-hmm. And I said, it's in here. And she looked at me and we both looked at each other. And I said, um, I've just got to do it. It's a call. I said, I love older people. And it's a call. And she just, she had tears in her eyes, actually, at that point. She, she was really, she didn't weep, but, but I could see she was moved by the response. Mm-hmm. There was something connected us at that point. It was the weirdest thing, but there was a connection definitely made at that point. And it wasn't because I was in awe. I'm not, I don't really do that. Mm-hmm. But it was just something about the connection. Mm-hmm. There was a connection made at that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, but she always and, said that yeah. about her service to the country, didn't she? That it was a calling. And I think, you know, when you recognize that your was own it. calling, there's, there's a lot of power in that connection, isn't there? Yeah, it was quite. It was quite a special time, actually. There's that two minutes. It was really. Yeah, it was. It was quite special. Incredible, and those are the memories that we never forget when we uh, meet the royal family, especially her, our dearly departed um, Queen Elizabeth. Um, yes. You know, I was very lucky to to meet her as well at a garden party a number of years ago as a veteran, oh. um, which was very exciting. Those were in the Tony Blair days, I remember, because he was Prime Minister at the time and he was there too. Um, wow. So. So yes, incredible. So going back to going back to mom because I heard you talk there about a B12 deficiency. So if I'm saying this correctly, is it pernicious anemia? Is that correct? Well, there are two types of B12. Different? It's part of B12 deficiency. There's two types of B12 deficiency. So one is pernicious anemia, which is an autoimmune disorder. So caused by autoimmune responses, your your body attacking itself. So in the, in the lining of your stomach, you have um, parietal cells, and they excrete two enzymes, well, there's 14, but two, two other ones that are important with B12, and that is um, intrinsic factor and hydrochloric acid. And as we get older, the hydrochloric acid is reduced, and intrinsic factor 
is if you've got antibodies against it, then you don't you don't make it. So you can't absorb B12 no matter how much you take. And so she, when I look back, I can clearly trace the problems that she started to have um, were probably ten years before. Mm-hmm. And if I had if I had woken up to the fact that actually she was um, she was very deficient and. So what when does that look w- like, Annie? How does that present itself? Well, in her, mm-hmm. it presented itself as anxiety, um, depression, anorexia. So she stopped eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, mood swings, violence. Um, and she, she had just about every, every symptom in the book, suspiciousness. A lot of B12 deficiency patients or people with B12 deficiency and present with neurological or neuropsychiatric issues. Now, a lot of people think that it's um, tart, they call it, in the, in the trade, tired all the time. Mm. And uh, you've got a tart attached to your clinical record. And that's because nobody knows what that means, really. And so you start investigating things, and it looks um, people should look for uh, B12 deficiency, but they don't always look. And so... When um, when she was um, admitted to hospital, and the only reason I got her admitted to hospital was she was standing over my father with a knife, oh. and she was she was she had broken a bottle over his head the, the, the night before. She was delusional, suspicious, violent, and um, and so it it was it was quite horrendous. And then she stopped eating, and the only way that I got her admitted was because she'd stopped eating. Mm-hmm. And she lost so much weight. She lost a lot of weight. She actually was not eating a thing. Wow. So she was she was drinking some fluids, but she wasn't eating. And she went from a size 16 to about a size 4 in in the space of about three or four weeks. Mm. So it was quite incredible. Gosh. And um, it was quite, yes, it was a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. And um, when she was admitted, I asked her um, doctors to do... Um, a particular blood test on her, and they didn't even know what they meant. So, uh, wow. so that was, so that was your suspicion that it was B twelve deficiency at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I suspected that it could be, and I thought oh, we'll check her B twelve, and it was only one hundred and sixty sixty eight, I think it was, and the cut off point um, at the at the hospital where she was, or the lab was one hundred and sixty. So they defined her as not deficient. When she had every symptom in the book, I had been on a journey with B12. I had known about B12 deficiency for many years. When I was in the psychiatric hospital, I saw this correlation between uh, the patients who were admitted and in the hospital. A lot of them had pernicious anemia, and a lot of them had a B12 deficiency. Mm-hmm. It was amazing, and and I used to think, I wonder if there's a connection. There must be a connection between the psychiatric admissions and the B12 deficiency, and of course, over the years that I've studied the subject, I found that there is definitely mm-hmm. a, a correlation. So, the dementia, um, you know, if you're you have you have some blood levels, and one of them is called homocysteine. And if your homocysteine is high, if you're B12 deficient, your homocysteine is high, and homocysteine can cause neuropsychiatric issues mm-hmm. and um, psychotic episodes and also cardiovascular disease. Wow. So 
when your B12 is low, yeah, you're going to have a stroke. You know, it's when you're going to have it. And you can see where I'm going because she had a stroke and um, a massive stroke. She also found, they found a pulmonary embolism on, um, on, the scan, on a scan. And they also found an old stroke that she'd had years back. And I was told they weren't significant. Well, I mean, if you've had a stroke, it's fairly significant. Mm. And if you've got a pulmonary embolism, it's very significant. Mm. So, um, so it was it was interesting time. And they were treating our psyche meds, and of course that increased the risks with the with the uh, with with the with the stroke. So, anyway, she had a stroke in twenty fifteen, and um, this woman had never been in hospital in her life except to give birth to my brother, mm. and. Um, Near she was seventy years old, admitted to a um, an acute geriatric uh, elderly care you know unit with six there were six rooms so it was very private very good mm-hmm. service I would say mm-hmm. but of course I knew all the nurses and most of the doctors you know I trained with them years back so it was quite interesting. Yeah, that must have been a comfort though to at least know that you you know mum was yes. surrounded by people that you were familiar with and yeah. You they knew what they were doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I knew they knew what they were doing. I knew the the consultant well, so I knew everybody. So it was great, you know, in mm. that sense. Trying to get my message about B twelve across was difficult, but uh, it never got across really. Mm. But um, but um, I think it probably would now, but mm. n- not then. So yeah, it was it was hard time. Yeah, that sounds really tough. But from that, you turned that experience into again something really positive for other people, didn't you? So tell us what that was. So I remember thinking to myself at the time, I can't inject my mother. I would love to. I would love to give her a B12 injection, but she can't consent. She hasn't got capacity. She doesn't like injections. So it would be unfair to give it to her without her consenting to it. Mm-hmm. So, and it was, she couldn't speak and she couldn't acknowledge anything. So I, um, you know, after she died, I remember thinking, what could I have done? You know, what could I have done? Maybe I should have just done it anyway. And um, and I'm glad I didn't, in in a sense. Um, I think that would have been very difficult for everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, and I got inspired to to look at patches. And so I thought, oh, transdermal. We could give things transdermally. Let's look at transdermal delivery. Mm-hmm. And it was almost as if I had the space then maybe to look at it. It was only a few weeks after she died. Mm-hmm. But I do remember thinking, this is a good option, transdermal vitamin B12. Will it work? Mm-hmm. So I did some research and looked around and I thought, well, there's not an awful lot of research out there about transdermal delivery of B12. So I contacted a colleague of mine in China, which was great, and I asked them if they could help me to source uh, some um, manufacturers some manufacturers for um, patches Mm -hmm. and so um, the idea was born and what happened was in Singapore um, I had some uh, colleagues in Singapore who um, who did a clinical trial for me on the patches so um, so I had a clinical trial going on in Singapore um, with um, a, a doctor friend of mine out there and he tested them for me which was brilliant so Mm -hmm. He found that with the patches in the trial, and it was only a small trial, a very small trial, because um, you know it's a limited amount of money you can afford to do it. Clinical trials of hundreds of thousands of pounds to do. Um, 
But I did mind just to satisfy myself if they worked or not. Mm-hmm. And um, the blood levels of B12 went up two and a half times on the trial. Wow. So I knew they worked. Significant. I knew they worked. Yeah. Very significant. Yeah. Over two months. Wow. Over two months, they increased by two and a half times. Mm-hmm. And there was no other factor that could have caused the difference mm-hmm. in the trial, you know. So so that proved to me that it worked. And I thought, right, go for it. Mm-hmm. So I started manufacturing um, the patches. And, um, and I've developed other patches since then. And I'm still developing patches as we speak. I'm mm-hmm. actually looking at um, Mexican yams at the moment uh, for progesterone. And um, so I'm, I'm working with the manufacturer and looking at looking at that and uh, see where we can that go with it. That sounds really exciting. So for those yeah. that don't know, so the transdermal patches, they look like almost tiny little sticking plasters, don't they? Um, yeah. You know, I, I have been trying them. Um, I've got my B12 um, and I have to say the, the effects are incredible. I'll, we'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, and, and it's just like a little sticking plaster and you wear it for about 24 hours and you can put them on with these the B12 ones. You can put them on once or twice a week, depending on what you need. So, um, which is super duper easy, really, um, you know, really simple to, to manage. It's all hypoallergenic as well, isn't it? So, um, you know, if you if you have sensitive skin, they are hypoallergenic as well. But what is it that makes them differ from kind of the bog standard over the shelf oral vitamins that we can just go and buy in the supermarket? Well, if you've got pernicious anemia or any B12 deficiency, you really don't absorb much oral B12. You certainly don't absorb any if you've got pernicious anemia because you don't have the enzymes to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So you could eat B12 in your food, which is in dairy and meat, um, but it still won't make a difference to you at all. Mm -hmm. So, and many drugs, many um, medications, I should say, drugs is a funny word, but I, as, as you know, as, as a clinician, I always mention drugs, we'll but it's medication. Prescription yeah, prescription, <laughs> yeah, prescription medication or drugs, yeah. Um, they inhibit the absorption of B12. Um, so, for example, uh, if you're on metformin for diabetes, you, it doesn't, it, it, you, you, you can't absorb B12. If you're on lansoprazole um, or meprazole, you can't absorb B12. Mm-hmm. If you're on statins, you can't absorb B12s. And all those sort of medications are quite common these days. So a lot of people can't absorb B12. So, and, and research evidence-based suggests that in a 1,000 microgram tablet, you might be lucky to absorb 50 micrograms if you are healthy, if you are normally healthy. So it's just, it doesn't work. And... Um, and in my opinion, um, I mean, you, you'll get people who will say the opposite, but that's my experience is they don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, vitamin B12 and folic acid, which you have to usually take alongside it, um, it's traditionally very difficult to absorb, it, you know, the, the, it, get gastric side effects, um, particularly from folic acid, you get gastric side effects, and it is difficult to absorb. And same with iron, you get you get gastric effects of iron. And so lots of these things are much better delivered transdermally through the skin. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been talking about menopause, we've been talking about HRT, and HRT patches work for women all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, there must be a way that these transdermal patches work for B12, and they do. And... Um, so it's really important that people uh, understand that 
when they go to wherever they go to buy their oral B12, it's unlikely to work. Now, there are some oral forms of B12 that work. Sublingual tablets work, and um, and so does um, spray, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, a, a methylcobalamin spray. However, um, with with those, you get hit instantly, and then you drop. Whereas with the patch, it's tr- it's delivered. The technology delivers it over twenty four hours, mm-hmm. so it's a steady flow, and it it keeps it you know it keeps it in the bloodstream mm-hmm. steadily, and then you can you can't overdose on B twelve, so you can take as much as you want of it. It's a water soluble vitamin, so you will always pass pass it out you know mm-hmm. through the urine. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very easy vitamin to take, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's incredible. Uh, and like you say, you've developed other vitamin patches as well. And for, for those listening, you can you can go to vitaminpatches.co.uk and look at all the different patches that, that Annie has available. Um, and we'll put the links in the in the show notes for people as well to be able to, uh, to, to actually, find those. It's vitamin, uh, vitaminpatches.uk. Oh, I beg your pardon. I forgot the co- yeah. I, I added the course. So, yeah, vitaminpatches.uk. Yeah. Thank you, Annie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's another company who's got the co.uk. <laughs> um, so we do we do D3, K2 and magnesium. That's another thing we can talk about. You mm. know, if you take D3 on its own, it, it, its name is... Um, you know, it's got it, it's um it, it's got calcium and um and um um the the idea is that the um the vitamin D three will collect in your um vessels and if you don't take it with um with the um K two and magnesium, it doesn't get to where it needs to get to. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to get to the bones and support the immune system, right? And so you have to take it. If you even if you buy, if you don't buy my patches, it's buy whatever you want to buy, but take it with K two and magnesium because one it will take it from the tissues where it accumulates, and that's why you can get um, you can have too much D three, and so you need to take it from the the vessels, the tissues, to the to the bones is where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So it's important when you do vitamins that you. Be very careful about the amount you take, but also about what you take it with, mm. because certain things work together very well. And there's some real danger zones, isn't there? Because quite often, yeah. you know, if a doctor says to us, "Oh, go and go and take some D3," or you know, go and buy some vitamin D, there that's basically what we're told, isn't it? So we'll go and buy some vitamin. Yes. If we think we're vitamin D deficient, quite often times, you know, a lot of people will just be like right i'm just going to cram as much vitamin d in as i possibly can um because i am told i'm deficient so with that and and now knowing and obviously now we're getting we're talking about this more and more information knowing that we need the magnesium and the k2 if we don't do that what are some of the effects that that can happen with that build up of the d3 that you were just talking about um you could get um you know you can get um cardiovascular issues um you can get, um, you know, uh, um, yeah, many many cardiovascular issues, mm-hmm. and I think there's an increase in risk in um, it's carcinogenic. So I think there's a, an increased risk there as well, so right. for cancer. Okay. So um, it's really important, you know, to um, to get it from the the tissue into the into the bones where it needs to be, mm-hmm. and K two and magnesium do that. You know, they transport it if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important and it's also important to check levels 
Now, whereas I would say don't check levels with B12 um, if you're on it because they're going to be high, it's, it's, it's of no use whatsoever. Um, with D3, it's important because if you've got too much in your system, it does need to reduce, mm -hmm. you know. And a lot of people that have been put on D3 supplements by, um, you know, their GPs or, you know, by, you know, just buying them over the counter and don't really know what they're doing with them. Mm -hmm. And it's so, so important, you know, um, to, um, to, to actually understand that calciferol, which is his other name, is... Um, you know, it can be quite, it can be toxic in, in if it accumulates. So it's really important mm -hmm. that it doesn't accumulate like that. So people need to have the D3 levels measured. If they're taking it, they should have it measured at least six months or annually. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's an important thing to remember. And that can be done um, with a, a simple blood test at the, the, the GP's yeah. office, yeah? Or yeah, they can, can come to yeah. one of your clinics because I know you have clinics all over the country, don't I you? I do. Yeah, I do have clinics, and uh, yeah, you can get your vitamin D three measured, um, your magnesium measured, um, in a blood test, and um, you can uh, get the results in in fifteen minutes in some instances. Not with the D three, um, but with things like thyroid or Hb one C or ferritin, mm -hmm. we can check iron levels very quickly in fifteen minutes. But the others see, uh, have to be sent to a lab uh, to be able to be analysed. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, so, you know, we run health hubs um, in several places in the UK and um, and they're getting more popular as we uh, speak. <laughs> um, so <laughs> what it's banner really do Because that's private healthcare, isn't it? So what banner do they sit on? Are they AB Health and Wellbeing? <laughs> tell yeah, us, tell AB, us a little bit about uh, there and that and how people can find you. Um, AB Health and Wellness... Um, is the company my company that does that so the that's under the vitamins and the health checks so we're not want to replace gps by any means we're not into that we're not really into the the whole diagnostic framework what we want to do is be proactive and encourage people to take control of their own health to be able to have the to be able to be understood to be able to be heard um we don't do 10 minute appointments we do an hour an hour and a half two hours sometimes because people need to talk. So there's a lot of stuff that people need to talk about. And so we're that, that, you know, that service, I suppose, that just brings alongside the basics of health check and find out your blood pressure's okay and, you know, your oxygen levels and your lung function and your ECG and your analysis and just basics. And then um, we then move on to, if there's anything abnormal, then we we would liaise with the GP. Mm -hmm. um, we would work alongside these people because we understand that really in in the health services, as you, we're all aware and you know full well, it's um, under a lot of pressure right now and it has been for you know the last few years. And so we understand that and we understand that uh, there isn't always the time to be able to... Um, be uh, I suppose uh, holistic mm -hmm. we're a holistic service we we're not just about what's wrong with you physically we're, we're about you as a person mm -hmm. you know to me you're not a diabetic mm. you are a person with diabetes mm. yeah and you're a person with whatever you're a person first mm -hmm. the, the other stuff comes later mm. and um and very often in um you know, in the medical world, we tend to, we have to do things quickly, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and we tend to 
treat people by their condition rather than by them being a person. So I think in acute instances, uh, go see the GP. Um, but if you want a, a proactive uh, approach to healthcare to keep yourself well, we will talk to you about we've got nutritionists, we've got doctors, we've got um, uh, acupuncturists, we've got um, mindful medicine, we've got lots of different uh, types of strategies. We do quite a lot of work with people with um, mental health, for example, issues and mindful medicine. And we run classes on mindful medicine. So, And we want to develop a network of people we can refer to. We're, we want to be inclusive in that sense, that we want to be diverse and inclusive in the sense that we've got lots of different multidisciplinary um, clinicians or people that we can refer to mm. at any given time. It's not, I'm not expert in everything, um, and uh, there's certain things that, you know, I stay clear of. Um, but but I know somebody who doesn't, you know, I know somebody who can see that person or who can take over, and then we can work together. We also do something called um, quantum bioresonance, which is a sort of frequency therapy, which has been getting some fantastic, uh, you know, um, health benefits. So it's really good. So that sounds exciting. Tell us a little bit about that just really quickly before, because I know you, I know you pushed for time a little bit, but um, tell us a bit about that because that sounds really exciting. So um, over the last, um, you know, few years, maybe the last 10, 20 years, maybe even 30 years, there's been an influ- uh, uh, an understanding that uh, there are certain aspects of health that we don't understand. And in uh, healthcare, we tend to disease manage. We manage your disease. We give you these pills, but we never look at the roots. So mm-hmm. we've almost like healing from the roots, if you like. So it's looking at the roots, the cause of something. And... Um, Nikola Tesla was one of the first people to look at this and he developed this theory and idea that every organ in your body is a frequency. And when we think about it, if you told me this 10 years ago, I'd have said, what's wrong with you? You need locked up. But actually, <laughs> actually, as I've gone on, I've really understood this. You know, I get a stethoscope and I listen to somebody's heart. I get a stethoscope, I listen to somebody's chest. I get a stethoscope, I listen to somebody's abdomen. All different sounds. And they're all at different frequencies. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to me. So the, the the software will record your voice. You've got your own unique voice. So you get um, a recording. Um, and then the software will analyze that. It will produce three reports, energy report, um, a mind report. And then it will link it to the... And so it gives you the emotional route to the physical condition. Underlying, and I don't care who's listening, underlying every single uh, issue that somebody has is an emotional route. Mm-hmm. And if we don't deal with that, then we, 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 we're just masking and we just cover up. So it's a whole another podcast. Oh, I, I could get you back and talk to you for hours about that because it's that mind body spirit connection, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. and, it, and that and all it, goes it, together. Yeah, mm-hmm. we neglect. We've concentrated for years on one, and we haven't taken into account the others. And I, as a clinician, look back at some of the patients I used to see, and I just think, my goodness, if I knew then what I knew now, you know, I'd have been a very different practitioner. Mm-hmm. I'd have been a very different person. I'd have been more empathetic. But when you don't know something, you feel inadequate. So you just put a title on somebody like 
fibromyalgia or ME or chronic fatigue or whatever it is, tired all the time, tat. You don't know what to, to, to say. So you, 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 and when you see this people with this diagnosis, you're like, oh my goodness, what do I do? Um, now I know exactly what to do uh-huh. because it's really important. But um, so, so the technology is amazing. And um, we just started, um, I just started doing it about eight months ago. Um, and I've had some really good results with people. So um, it's a great, it's a great thing. And after six weeks, we rescan, so we can do even do brain scans mm-hmm. with a with a, we've got a brain scanner. So for people who can't talk, who are uh, comatose or anything, we can use it, and it will it it will analyze the frequency through the brain scanner, and then um, it will deliver those frequencies back to the person. So we sit and make a what we call a balance file, and the balance file. It's different in the left ear and the right ear, mm-hmm. amazingly enough. Wow. You make make up the balance file. You look at the underlying conditions. You talk to the person. You do in-depth consultation. And then you look at the roots and then you think, right, okay, um, we'll address these for now. And we, we ask people to listen to the frequencies three times a day, minimum. More the better, but minimum. And we've seen amazing results. After six weeks, people tell me they sleep better. And that's big for some people who don't sleep. Yeah. Um, temper's better, mood's better, um, not as ratty, not as stressed, um, or uh, uh, deals with the stress differently. Um, it, it's just, and, and what I love about it, and you, you might laugh at this, but what I love about it doesn't involve hours of counselling. It just involves me and this this earpiece you know uh-huh. so That's um amazing. and it does it you don't have to rehearse your problem you don't have to tell people about your problem you don't have to you don't have to share if you don't want to mm-hmm. you can just it can just be done and there have been phenomenal results phenomenal um it's been there's there's i think there's the latest stats where there was over a billion people that had tried it wow so um and there've been some amazing results so that's some very exciting technology it, it is it is and, and i've got it so i am um, i'm quite excited by it get ready for the influx but that folks is why she has an mbe and was also <laughs> awarded uh you were the winner of the most inspiring female business leader globally weren't you in 2021 awarded by the northeast chamber of commerce as well which is how you and i met wasn't it a few few months back at the northeast chamber of commerce inspiring female awards where you were where you were speaking um, and I have to admit, I was sat there with my mouth open the, the whole time, hanging on your every word. And I just knew when I saw you in the room that I had to meet you. And, and I did, didn't I? I grabbed you as soon as you sat down and went, I really want to talk to you. <laughs> Which has been a it? really inspiring connection. And I have to say, it's been been almost life changing for me already, just being able oh, to wow. connect with you and talk to you. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, you should never underestimate the power of what you do, Annie, because... Um, you know, for for your heart and your energy and your spirit and all of your hard work um, goes into literally saving the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands Aww. of people. So you are truly the epit- what epitomises an inspiring female for me. So thank you oh, so thank much you. for your time on Life's Conversations today. It's been an honour to be able to sit and talk to you for the last hour. Um, we're definitely going to get you back and talk about the mind, body and spirit uh, <laughs> connection that's a whole other conversation yes, um, yes. 
but for now I know you're busy so we're very honoured to have managed to get this time with you so thank you so much um, for today and uh, thank you to everybody for listening um, and you can catch us next time on Life's Conversations. You have been listening to Life's Conversations with me, Suzanne Barber and my wonderful potty pilot, producer Dave. Of course, if you're worried about any physical or emotional symptoms you might be experiencing, please do contact the appropriate clinical professional. Alternatively, you can get in touch with me on my website, Barber Coaching. So that's B-A-R-B-O-U-R coaching dot life forward slash contact. Or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn. Just search for Suzanne Barber. If you'd like to learn more about managing your peri or perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms and protect your long term health, please come and join us at our supportive, wonderful Facebook group called Mastering Your Menopause. Also, if you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, then like and subscribe. And of course, leave us a five star review. That's what keeps us going. So don't forget. Also, tell your friends, tell your family and even tell the dog. We'll see you next time on the next episode of Life's Conversation. Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.